Hey, everybody. And hello, humans. Welcome to the Not A Robot DC Comics Review Show. My name's Josh. And I'm Anthony. On this podcast, we recap and review DC's latest comic books each and every week. Make sure you stop by our website, notarobotpodcast.com, so you can send in show mail, just drop us a message, get to us on Twitter, access all of our Patreon content, and get early access to the show, or visit us at campsite.bio forward slash notarobot to listen to us on all of your favorite source for podcasts. Our Patreon will have more and more content as our podcast grows. Let me send a quick shout out to the Weird Science Comics Group for hosting us on their Patreon page. To check out all things Weird Science, head to campsite.bio forward slash Weird Science Comics and make sure you give their comics and Patreons a peek too. They've got great stuff. This week we'll be reviewing Action Comics 1024, Batman Beyond issue 46, Batman Superman, Issue 11, Deceased at Hope at World End, Issue 8, The Flash, 760, Wonder Woman, 761, Teen Titans Annual 2, Suicide Squad, Issue 8, Just League Dog, Issue 25, Legion of Superheroes, Issue 8, Batgirl, Issue 48, Detective Comics, Issue 1026, and Red Hood, Issue 48. Alright. So we had a much better week this week than we did last week. I feel oh, yeah. like there were a lot better a lot better books that came out this week. Not quite so angry, and I am mostly over getting sick, so I feel like I'm in a better mood. That worked out Ooh. better for everybody. <laughs> um, all right, so let's just go ahead and get straight into the comic reviews. What's the first one we're doing, Anthony? You got it. First one up is Action Comics 1024, and that's cover price is $399. All right, that's written by Brian Michael Bendis, pencils by John Romita Jr., inks by Klaus Jansen, colored by Brad Anderson. The cover was by Romita Jr. and Anderson, and letters by Dave Sharp. The city of Metropolis has been rocked by Luther's latest attack in the drama surrounding Superman's truth. And that gives the Invisible Mafia a new foothold to change the city of tomorrow forever. Meanwhile, the Daily Planet is under siege. The fallout from Superman villains continues as Clark Kent steps out into the world as a reporter for the first time. So, um, going straight into the book, our first page introduces us to Whisper, an operative of Leon. He's been watching Superman, Brainiac, and the Superboys for about a week straight, and he knows that they are looking for Leon's mafia. He uh, calls Leon Lady L. He tells her that he recommends going into lockdown. He He details out that Superman being back in town, and we learn that they don't have updated files on anyone but Superman. Everything else is kind of incomplete, but they are keeping tabs on everybody. Now next, we flip the page, and we see Melody Moore, who is uh, um, not exactly what I remember from last time. Oh, you're good, same, because when I saw it, I was like, oh, this who it was? Oh, I forgot what she looked like then. Yeah, I mean, I think she looked a little more, I don't know, tame? Maybe she had a haircut. Maybe that's what's going on here. It could be. Uh, Then again, it is Ramita Jr.'s art, so it's (laughs) a little difficult to tell what's going on. You know? Um, This could be a spiky haircut or his version of hair blowing in the wind. 
Who knows? Uh, but in any case, we're talking about Melody Moore, the assistant deputy fire chief that Superman endorsed for mayor, talking to someone on the phone about how they don't know each other, her and Superman, and that Superman probably shouldn't be endorsing po- uh, people for political office. Uh, she's at the end of her shift, and she's walking home, and Red Cloud shows up behind her. Now, if we remember from last time, Red Cloud was supposed to be going after somebody that was important for Superman, or important to Superman, uh, for leverage. So maybe this is the person, though that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Um, of all the people to go after, why go after this person who Superman exactly. just became friends with? You know, uh, so um, Red Cloud actually calls out to her, uh, says Superman's pal, Melody Moore. And we see Melody turn around and the it zooms in on her face and it gets real close. And you can see the red mist reflecting in her eye. So obviously Red Cloud's like right there. And then um, then we turn the page and we're back at the Daily Planet and um it's finally getting raided by the FBI. Agent Chase is there, and she brings up a warning uh, that she gave Lois before to not mess up. And that's when Team Super shows up. The uh, <laughs> um, Superman, John, and and uh, Connor, and Brainiac, and um, man, their poses are so weird when they're coming down. They they I don't even know what to make out of this. The they look like they've been sculpted out of clay, or maybe they're wearing maybe maybe they're wearing masks made out of human skin. I'm not sure. Um, everything just, the poses look odd for one. Yeah, like you mentioned, but just all in all, everything about them looks odd. John's they're face odd. is a bit scary. The the. Uh, Right, exactly. I mean, all of them look weird, and um, I'm never going to get used to this art. Not <laughs> one bit. It's just never going to happen. But, uh, so the Daily Planet's getting raided by the FBI, and um, when when these guys show up, uh, Agent Chase seems to lose a little bit of her bravado. Uh, out of nowhere... After some conversation, some real quick conversation, uh, Superman, like, he he looks up, and um, there's some lines drawn from his face, so I, I'm assuming it's like, he heard something, but the direction that he, his head is turning, it just, it doesn't make any sense. It's like, he, yeah. It, anyway, so he, he flips his head up. And, um, you, it's, it's really hard. Like I said, it's really hard to say what's going on, but Superman takes off without a word. Uh, he, we see him when John Connor and Brainiac catch up to him next. And, uh, he's approaching this stuff that looks like uh, plant life? <laughs> like a I, reddish yeah. purple plant life? No, I'm, I'm, I'm not even... Or maybe algae, a bunch of, a bunch of reddish mud. But uh, um, 
he looks really devastated and look, we don't as 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 John and Connor and Brainiac approach, John asks, Who is that? And Brainiac answers, her life functions have ceased. We don't get to see exactly what it is that uh, Superman is looking at. We've only seen like odd little pieces that we mentioned before, but uh, it's, it's, it's probably because Ramita couldn't draw a a messed up body, but uh, it's more than likely we know it's melody from earlier. Uh, Superman is, and this is really weird, uh, but Superman is holding a hand back like a, you know, very dramatic and uh, he's he's not acting like him. He says, don't come over here. Don't you look at this. Uh, don't you look at this. Sounds like something I would have heard out of a movie from the 1950s. Uh, it's really horrible dialogue. Not a fan of this at all. So Soup's, um, Soup's takes off and he's flying all over. Again, in some really weird poses. And uh, he runs into Supergirl. Who also looks very strange. Um, She's drawn in a way that her cheekbones are huge and round. And she has a chin, but maybe no lower jaw. (laughs) Not a big fan of that either. Superman's taken Melody Moore's death really really hard and it's much harder than i've seen him take the deaths of people who he really knew i mean from the time uh, that we've seen her and him interacting all he's getting a little bit too emotional i feel like way too emotional off. yeah we've seen him a few times and like that's it yeah uh, to evoke this kind of a response i would have expected somebody a whole lot closer to the superman family yeah but, like he's uh, freaking out. Brian Michael Bendis. <laughs> oh boy. So um, Superman again. He's taking it really hard, and he just kind of collapses into Supergirl. It kind of looks like, and it's it's hug time. Uh, they're 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 hugging it out, and um, John Connor and Brainiac show up to check on Superman and Supergirl gets acquainted. Uh, Superman kind of shakes off his sadness and he goes on the offensive. He tells everyone that he's looking for holes with his x-ray vision because he knows that they are intentionally hiding from him. Next, we go to Dr. Glory from the Teen Titans and Leon. They are both. Oh, Young Justice. Yeah, I'm sorry. Young Justice, not Teen Titans. Good catch, Anthony. Uh, and uh, they're arguing back and forth Glory is wanting to be hidden and Leon is saying that there's basically nowhere to hide when the whole Kent family is after you Um, that was a real brief glimpse at that like uh, one, two, three, four, five panels Uh, Bendis used five panels on one page to tie together two books um, I don't know what he's thinking. The uh, perhaps he's under the impression that comic book fans are just stupid people, and they don't need things that make sense. 
we can just throw in five sentences of dialogue tops and unite our entire Bendis universe. That's not doing it for me, man. No. And I know it's not doing it for a lot of other people. So we go back to Team Super now, and uh, they're all using super hearing and x-ray vision and microscopic vision. And we get some jokes about that, about some of that and gross things that they didn't want or shouldn't see. Um, the jokes aren't good ones. Uh, after that, Brainiac says that he thinks he may have found something, which we get a glimpse of Whisper patching into Leon. And he says that he thinks they found him. And on the next page, he's surrounded by Team Super. Now, I've heard a couple people talking about how great this page looks. But to me, again, just looking at the rest of the book, I mean, this this picture, it's, Wait, it's which page? It, uh, the page where we have uh, the four of them, or excuse me, the five of them standing there and it's all black and all you see is their accents and their super symbols. Wow, people are saying okay. People are saying that this is this is a phenomenal page. I mean, it's it's definitely the best one in the book, uh, especially considering who drew who who drew it. Um, and I'm and I get I'm 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 talking about you know John Romita Jr. here. He's been around drawing comics for decades, and mm -hmm. you know I mean maybe he's just past his prime. I don't know what the reason is, but he's just, this is how he used to draw, but he doesn't draw like this anymore. And even in this, I feel like this is just lazy. It's a quick way to make a cool looking panel, but it does. It's, it's not a lot. We get Superman's feet, everybody's super shields, some gold accents and some laser vision, some heat vision that, that that's it. Everything else is in black. And then, not not just mention that, but beside the super shields showing, the S symbols, also their gold accents are showing. Now, Superman doesn't have any, and that's not a problem. Everybody else's looks pretty close to what they should. But Supergirl has gone from wearing a belt to wearing golden granny panties. And that's not even relatively close to what her costume should look like. Her, She's supposed to have a V-shape, and it's even if you flip back a few pages and look how she is drawn earlier when she shows up. There's supposed to be a tiny V drop at the bottom of it, but it, it's not it, as big as what that should be. Nowhere near as large as what that should be. I mean, from the silhouette, you can tell that that, that goes all the way down, you know, to the other side of her leg. That's ridiculous. So anyway, um, now that I'm done railing on that, <laughs> um, so he's he's there. He's surrounded by Team Super. We only see the highlights here on this page, other than Whisper. Um, on the next page, uh, the last page, Leon says the Red Cloud that it's time to end this cold. It's time. Uh, she's launching her counterpunch. And I can only assume that this means that we'll be getting a Red Cloud versus Superman battle next issue. 
if it's not a Superman versus Red Cloud battle this issue, I don't know. I'm I'm very close to just not wanting to read this anymore. To be honest with you, the whole purpose of me continuing to read any of the Bendis books is just for the purpose of review. I don't get any enjoyment out of this. Not one book. bit. Uh, I mean, Red Cloud, Red Cloud never even looks the same from issue to issue. And that wouldn't be that big of a deal if she ever once looked like her name should be Red Cloud. Right now, I feel like her name should be Red Vine. Exactly. Like, I hate her new design. Or maybe Twizzlers. I'm not sure. (laughs) But she definitely looks more like a... a, She definitely looks more like a red, chewy, long candy than she does an imposing victim. Villain. It, It doesn't... Does not spark joy. So the internet tells me I need to get rid of that stuff. (laughs) Um, That panel was pretty cool. We've got some progression moving forward. Uh, Something's actually happening in this book finally. But the art is so bad that it it detracts from the rest of the book. And like I said before, I, I think... I think Don Romita Jr.'s problem is that he's lazy. Uh, he's not drawing everything now, and it still looks like this. Um, his his heyday is long gone. I mean, this this is just it's complete. As far as I'm concerned, it's completely unacceptable art. And hell, if I was DC, I'd be getting my money back. Oh, without a doubt. Like the the faces he draws, the poses, like. What is this? No, no, not worth not worth not worth three ninety nine for sure. Oh no! And uh, my my final score on this one, I'm gonna put it at a three out of ten. <sighs> I'm not gonna lie, no. This the front cover says "Meet the New Boss," pointing at clock. Now, whether mm. he was a new boss or not. I want to know why is that on the cover when nothing is meeting the new boss? Well, for one, I've noticed for quite a very long time now that uh, they just throw whatever the hell they want on the cover. And it, I mean, most of the time, it very, very rarely has anything to do with the contents of the book. And. If it does have something to do with the contents of the book, it's either drastically misleading, almost pointing you in the exact opposite direction of what happens inside, or it's so loosely associated you actually have to look for a connection between the cover and the content. See, the image, sure, I guess I'll let that slide for now, but because it also has it words, meet the new boss, that's what the thing like, why is that writing there? Just take out the writing. If like that means nothing at all to the story, take it out. All you're doing is just wasting your time and effort for that writing. I feel like we could talk about that and apply that to the majority of the books that are getting released. Mm-hmm. I really sure. do. There's some of them out, like the the um uh. There, there's some of them that came out this week that that are better about it, but. Mm. I mean, for the most part, there's there's a lot of um, 
I guess we'll call it artistic interpretation. And I may not be the biggest like Legion of Superheroes fan at all, but I've watched the animated show back in the early 2000s. I've read a few of the runs. I do not like how Brainiac 5 is being written. How he wants to hug the globe. <laughs> what? That is, he, I don't know, man. Um, they're almost... it. They, they've taken... Uh, I believe he's a 12th level intellect. Is that right? Brainiac 5? I think so. Yeah, I think he's a 12th level intellect. And, um, they're a level 12 in the light. And, uh, they've turned him into a 20th, 21st century fanboy. Oh, yeah. Like, is he just for comic relief at, at this point? I think so, which is quite sad. It is sad, but it's where they took Brainy with the Supergirl show. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's there for comedic relief, and that seems to be about it. Uh, well, see, I mean, I, that, granted, I haven't watched that in a while. My, but see, the show is an adaption, so they can take a, liber, uh, lib, uh, a little liberty, but this is yeah. a comic. This is where the source should be coming from, so you should stick it to a little bit tighter to what the character is like. To bring back any Legionnaire, sure, but to bring back him and make him be like a fanboy, like, what? No, he's, he's acting stupid at this point. Oh, a globe! I won't hug the globe! What? No. Yeah. Between the story, the writing, the R, yeah, I'm giving this a 3 out of 10, and that's being nice. Yeah. 3 out of 10 is definitely being nice. Alright, so what's our next issue, Anthony? Thankfully, we start with that issue, because next up we have Batman Beyond 46. That issue price is 399 and Batman Beyond 46 was written by Dan Jurgens. All art was by Sean Chen, colored by Chris Sotomayor, cover by Dave Mora, and the letters were done by Travis Lanham. Mr. Zero's plan is a success as weather around the world gets worse and a new ice age begins. Gotham is covered in a mountain of snow and ice, and the rest of the world isn't much better. To set things right, Batman, Damien, and Batwoman Beyond must declare war on the League of Assassins. Alright, so uh, we'll jump right into it. And Batman Beyond, this issue anyway, begins with Damien, Dick, Terry, Elena, who is Dick's daughter, and Damien's dragon Goliath flying in a ship to a secret location. After gaining access they to to the secret location, which is a like a secret headquarters, they get access to a star cruiser. Um, the weather outside is a major blizzard, and uh, it's actually in Texas. So it's assumed that this is Mister Zero's work, but Terry tells everyone that this is Bruce's hideout. Uh, back in Neo Gotham, we see, or excuse me, that's not Terry. That is uh, Damien. Damien tells everybody that is Bruce's hideout. Uh, back in Neo Gotham, we see Bruce, Barbara, and Matt watching the team on a screen as they enter the aforementioned secret base. 
Bruce is explaining his theory on how the League of Assassins have started the threat of a new Ice Age. He suspects that there's some sort of headquarters that the League has been launching thousands of small satellites from. Those satellites, he theorizes, create a crystalline array that reflects the sun's heat back out into space. Well, it turns out that he's right. Uh, the power goes out, and it's 40 degrees below zero outside already. Now, on the next page, we go back to the Beyonds and company as they're in their Starship cruiser. They fly out into space and find the mothership that's launching and controlling the satellites. They strategically attack the uh, uh, the ship so they can dock their cruiser and get inside. They've got to, uh, the, the Beyonds, Batman and Batwoman Beyond, fly outside of the spaceship and attack the guns so that the Starship cruiser can get inside. It works. They land, they take out a bunch of League assassins with fists and knockout gas. But for some reason, the the gas doesn't affect Damien, uh, even though he's not wearing a mask and all the assassins are. <laughs> uh, we go back to Bruce, Barbara, and Matt to see that the energy shields that Bruce uses as windows are failing. He's asked, why doesn't he just use glass like a normal person? And to be honest with you, I've got to wonder the same thing. Uh, so the the windows that he was using are failing, um, which means that the cold air from the outside is going to be able to go in or get I into the building. Last, it might actually cut them because for the next panel, you see the like the windows like break a little bit. Yeah, that's my only yeah. assumption. Why that's he put it? Yeah, but I'm almost thinking that they're just. Like a, almost like a light projection. But, uh, I don't know. That's Bruce, right? He's always going to use the, the, the big, the big tech, the, the next biggest thing. Oh, yeah. Show off his <laughs> money. So, uh, we go back to the team now and they're making their way through the league's mothership and they end up in a room that Damien himself is not familiar with. Mr. Zero shows up, uh, or well, pipes in some audio in any case, and says that he knew better than to show Damien all of the plans because he knew Damien would try to stop him. The room has a wall that begins to open, and it looks like the heroes are brought to be sucked out into space. And then the next page shows Bruce, Barbara, and Matt all laying in snow, knocked out from the extreme cold. Next issue is Death Stars. Now, I enjoyed this issue. Uh, the Batman Beyond book has had a bit of a good story in it. It's been a little weird at times, but it's started straightening out with Elena showing up and being a sidekick to Batman, or a teammate, excuse me. I'm I'm kind of really digging it now, and I would like to see that explored more. Mm. The art is almost always good. I feel like this may have been a little less than what I was used to seeing in this book, but it's not uh, not enough to complain about. Um, hopefully this arc wraps up nicely. Uh, I like it so far, so please now uh, stick the landing. <laughs> my, final my final score is going to be a 7 out of 10. Now the um, League of Assassins 
have they used guns be- guns before? I thought they usually stick with bow arrows and swords. Usually they do stick with bows and arrows and swords, but there has been it depends on who's writing it. Gotcha, because when I saw the with the gun, I was like, wait, are they using gun? Hmm? Uh, because that for a second threw me off. Yeah, it depends on who's writing it, but you're right. For the most part, they don't use guns. Or at least not to my knowledge. I mean, constantly this has been a book that I I always look forward to reading. It's definitely not, not my ideal team because from a while ago we had Robin. Unfortunately, he got demoted. Um, we had sort of a ten. She was part on the team a little bit, so it's Max. I wish eventually we get him uh, back on the team. However, this mm-hmm. team we have right now, I enjoy. I think it's a great team. I can't wait to see more of Elena and her progressive as being a Batwoman. I like how she does have the blue to like acknowledge her dad as Nightwing. Right. I enjoy. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm a fan Goliath. of that too. Glad we don't really see that much in like in the main continuity in like present time. So glad we can see him right now. Damien, he's always a pleasure to just read. He's because he's funny. Oh yeah, <laughs> he's he's. I mean, let's be honest. He's a dick, but he's a yeah. funny dick. You know, Which makes him very <laughs> lovable, enjoyable. Yep. He, he Damien, uh, from the time he's been introduced, it was a really neat concept. I thought that Batman had this kid out there he didn't know about with Talia Al Ghul, that was raised to be an assassin, and then just dropped off at his place when he was nine years old and said, "Here, your problem now." I thought it was pretty. Yeah, I mean, really. Yeah. I thought. Uh, I thought it was a really neat concept to see something develop out of that, and I've always loved the character of Damien, especially when he's been teamed up with Dick. So um, it'll be interesting in this Batman Beyond series if Dick sticks around and Damien yeah. to see if they, because uh, they're not quite there yet, but to see if maybe they. Uh, maybe they reconnect on that level and 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 get back to the the jokes that they used to do to each other instead of just really being jerks. Yeah, because I think we only got that a little bit with their little um, banter in the beginning of the issue. Other than that, hopefully next issue we get more of that. But I'm very curious to see how it picks up next issue with that cliffhanger we have. Yeah, like, definitely. That caught my attention. I'm like, oh, okay, the down. How they're yeah. gonna get back with no help? Uh, they they are not just down. They're 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 looking like they're about to get sucked out into space, and and uh, and then everybody else is knocked the hell out. So who's gonna save them? So that caught my attention as well. Like, I'll give this seven point five out of ten. Seven point five out of ten. Very good. All so right. I think what's the price? I would go with you there too. I would read that for three ninety nine all day long. All right, Anthony. So, given that we're in agreement on this one, where do we go next? Next up, we have Batman Superman issue eleven. That cover price is three ninety nine. Written by Joshua Williamson with art by Clayton Henry, colored by Alejandro Sanchez, cover by David Marquez, with letters done by John J. Hill. It's Superman versus Batman as the deadly machinations of the ultra-humanite crash to their end. The Dark Knight has been transformed into a human atomic bomb, 
all in the name of wiping Superman from the face of the earth. As Batman struggles against the urge to kill his friend, Superman must undo the damage done and help the other victims of the Ultra-Humanites' experiments. It's the thrilling conclusion to Atomic that will reverberate across the DC Universe for months to come. Well, I don't know about all that, but... Uh... <laughs> It it, it it was a pretty decent issue. So we're going to start it out with two unknown thieves taking advantage of the explosion from the last issue caused by the Atomic Skull and Gotham. Batman shows up in a single, spade, a single page splash with uh, purple fire around his head, reminding us that Ultra Humanite operated, operated on him and did the same thing to him that he did to the Atomic Skull. Batman returns the ultra-humanite, and we find out that Batman, though resisting, is under ultra-humanite's control. That's when Superman shows up. He explains he was able to track the, radi the radiation and heat, um, hear the sound of the transmission that ultra-humanite was using to control the drones, those dead bodies that he still seems to have some of. Batman begins attacking Superman and can't stop. Some words are traded between the three of them. Ultra Humanite really likes to talk, and Batman tries to resist killing Superman. Ultra Humanite is not having that at all, so he activates the bomb in Batman. Batman tells Superman to take him somewhere so he can explode safely, which is something Superman just did in the last issue, and ultimately that didn't turn out so well. Superman tries to talk him out of it, but Batman says that it's just like the bomb in the atomic skull. Then we see Superman blast Batman in the chest with his heat vision, and Batman falls with a very small hole in his bat symbol, smoking and sizzling. Ultra Humanite and Superman are fighting, and he's trying to bait Superman into unleashing fully on him, and Superman won't do it. Instead, Superman is yelling at him for hurting the Atomic Skull because he was trying to be a good guy. Ultra Humanite tells us that Atomic Skull was imprisoned by an unknown person that treated him like a monster. Now, for anybody out there that's reading all of the books out there by DC, or at least the ones related to the Bat Family, we know that that mysterious person was Damian Wayne in the Teen Titans. Mm-hmm. So Ultra Humanite saved Atomic Skull from his banishment, but only to use him as a weapon. When, aiming, when Atomic Skull realized what was going on, he ran away, and he got to Gotham before Ultra Humanite finally blew him up. Superman is still fighting with Ultra Humanite, and distracts him just long enough for Batman to attack from the back. Superman explains that Batman survived because he used his microscopic vision with the, thin, with the thinnest heat vision to surgically disable the bomb. Ultra Humanite orders his drones to attack, but Batman severs the electrical cables and the command is not sent out. Ultra Humanite falls over too. They realize that he was a drone and that and they find his actual brain in a giant tube. Uh, they send the brain to Star Labs who notices that there is trauma to the brain probably for multiple transplants, but that the radiation seems to have some sort of regenerative effect. Superman, 
hosts a funeral and buries Atomic Skull. And later we see Superman and Lucius talking as Bruce operates on himself to remove the bomb. While he's cutting his chest open, Bruce is talking about the mysterious jailer that held Atomic Skull and that they need to look into it. The last thing that we see is a beautiful series of panels. Uh, in a beautiful series of panels is Atomic Skull digging his way out of the grave with no containment suit as he walks away from the tombstone, uh, leaving purple fire with every step. Atomic Skull says to himself, I need a drink. That's the end of the arc. I would really, really like to see more with this new Atomic Skull. Uh, I kind of dug it when he uh when he flipped his coin and started acting like a good guy and uh, because he's such a unique character and yeah but uh so i mean i've enjoyed this arc since it started though ultra humanite is a mouthful to say over and over and over again i'm going to miss reviewing this arc the story was simple but enjoyable and the art always looked great um it was kind of silly to see Bruce operating on his own chest with no medicine, effortlessly carrying on a conversation the whole time. That was a little ridiculous. Uh, hopefully the stories coming up will be just as good when we get another dose of the Brainiac Files in Detective Comics. The last time those showed up was about two years ago, issue 987 or so. So I guess we'll see what we get from there. My final score for this one even with all the craziness and the uh, Batman self-surgery, I'm going to give this one a 7 out of 10 as well. So, Tom? I think, honestly, from where it was before, when the series first came out in issue 1 or so, it was okay. But now that, like, it's just... Back issue 1, we had the infection... And that just didn't really drive with me as much. Now it's just Batman Superman on the own. It's just a contained story. Much better than what we have been getting. I think, yeah, overall, you saw everything I, I want to say. It's just a, I'm going to, I'm trying to get the right words out. I'm going to page um, four right now. You see Superman smashing it down. And man, that art. It's just beautiful. Do you know if this book is canceling soon or still continuing? You know, to be honest with you, I'm not 100% sure. Um, a lot of them are canceling. Yeah, that's what I'm wondering. Because like, I'm hoping it's not. Because it the, all I'm driving with, the art is very good. It, it it's, it's, it's always really good in this book. And even with... <laughs> Even with um, even with Joshua Williamson writing it, it is who I I think has butchered Flash. Um, uh, even even with him writing it, it, it it was an enjoyable art. So maybe the Flash, maybe the Flash just isn't for him. I mean, we have a villain who like not many people know about. Like they might have heard about him, but they never really know much about him. Meaning Ultra Humanite or yeah. Atomic Skull? Ultra, Ultra Humanite. Which, like, is good because since Rebirth, I feel like we get the same villains nonstop. And to get a new villain we have not seen in a long time, 
he does have he does something actually good like not like a good plan but actually like the writing is actually good for the villain yeah yeah i it was done really well the everybody did feel like they had their own distinct voice um and and i totally bought that that was ultra human i just really and like I just want to read it, this issue again. Like, I'm not saying this is a 10 out of 10. No. It's just a very... From what we have been getting in comics, it's just refreshing to get this issue. It's a fun issue. Great story. Great art. I would highly recommend reading it. So bad. I'll um, give this a 7 out of 10 as well. Like, I'm flipping through it right now and just admiring the pages. The action scenes are amazing. I said this for I said again. I'm a guy loves the action scenes. I can see the fights in my head as if they're a motion picture. It's great. And the cliffhanger, it's not very cliffhanger us into another story, but yet it is, but not the next story. We'll see the story ways down the road. Yeah, more than likely it is well the the next one's coming up then the Brainiac Files, that's where we're going next. But yeah. as far as like dealing with this, Atomic skull. this yeah, this new atomic skull, yeah, it might be a ways down the road. But um I'd be really it'd be I think it'd be cool as hell if he didn't end up in a containment suit if he just stayed this way. Yes. A little like change to like his character. Yeah, because uh I mean they could work those regenerative 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 geez uh those 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 side effects into that and and perhaps that helps his containment somehow or or he doesn't have to stay contained because of it somehow i mean it doesn't have to get too crazy with the explanation but i would i would really like to see that be a part of it and hopefully he still maintains like his good guy status a little bit more yeah, that's what I'm hoping for too. That's where he was going before, and uh, it's always fun when the a character changes size, whether they go from good to bad or bad to good. It changes the whole perspective. It makes new stories worth telling. And it's hard to tell which way he's going mm-hmm. with. I need a drink. I mean. <laughs> It, he doesn't sound overtly evil, but, you know, I mean, evil people drink alcohol, too. There's no doubt. He's had a long day. Indeed, he has. All Which right. Dead. Where are we headed to next, Anthony? Next up, we have Deceased, Hope Out Worlds, and Issue 8. And that cover price is 9... nine I'm sorry. That cover price is 99 cents. All right, and DC's, of course, is written by Tom Taylor. This issue was penciled by Carl Mostert, inks by Trevor Scott, colored by Rex Locus, with the cover done by Mostert, Scott, and Locus, with letters done by Seda Temafante. A little girl is trapped outside of the garden in Gotham City. Can the combined mites of the Super Pets save her from the infected? Um... So this was a really unnecessary issue, but yes. I still appreciated it just because of the tip of the hat that was made inside, including all of the super pets. Uh, it was kind of neat. Tom Taylor likes to reach out there and touch on things that most people don't grab onto. And uh, 
you know, I mean, as far as the, the, his deceased storyline goes, it always works for me. Uh, it's the first real filler type issue that I've seen come out of the deceased storyline. And honestly, it wasn't painful. It was quick, but it was normal size. Um, ultimately, the, the lack of much dialogue made that pacing speed up quite a bit. We've got Bobo, the great detective chimp, doing his best to help out in the world of the blighted. There's a girl who lost a horse, and there's a horse who lost a girl. And there's Ace the Bat-Hound. So things are going mostly okay until the blighted show up. And uh, they're attacking they, the, 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 the girl on the horse with Bobo, and... Um, Bobo gets hurt, but uh, that's when we find out that the anti-life does not work on animals. Uh, the crypto shows up and uh, helps fight off the blighted. The horse that we get to meet is called Comet. Now a little side note here. Supergirl, once upon a time, had her own super pet. Now this one had two different types of it. Um... Uh, two different interpretations, but for the for the most part, the one that everybody knows, uh, pre-crisis, the horse's name was Comet. Now, this was erased from continuity afterward, but that Comet was a male, and I think that this is a nice little acknowledgement toward that. Uh, the issue ends with everyone safe that started the issue, and that's something to be said, because nobody died on the issue in a deceased book. And yeah. I don't think that that's happened yet. <laughs> uh, the art wasn't exactly like the art that I'm used to seeing in the deceased titles, but it was darn close enough to make me happy. And uh, the little story inside was okay. Now, next issue is The Calm Before the Storm. My final score on this issue is another 7 out of 10. I think I might be right there with you. Um... It's not my favorite issue we've got to see. It's just another um, filler issue. Like you said, first one that we probably ever had of deceased. I will admit, I was thrown off. We did see one killing, or one death, and that's from how that girl got killed, which I was a little bit thrown off because from what it looks like, that girl is a young girl. I never actually seen like a young girl be, uh, be the death of a young girl in a comic. So that kind of threw me off. Um, I kind of wish we did get more of the Super Pets. Like, Streaky, um, the ones that we got in, I want to say, Bat one of the Batman annuals. They had a story of the Super Pets. I wish we got a little bit more of that. I forgot about that one. Because that one we had, like, Back How To. Yeah, where everybody was into it. Danny and Back How. <laughs> Now, uh, can the girl hear the dog talk too, or is it just Bobo? I, I'm i fairly certain it's just Bobo. Okay. Bobo, uh, no, who's he, on first? Bobo has always, uh, for the most part anyway, he's always displayed the ability to communicate with any animal. Gotcha. Right, what'd you rate this one, Anthony? Seven out of ten as well. Like, not, not the best I've read from it, but it's not. Like, nowhere near an awful issue. No, just a nice, okay issue. 
Yeah, nice and readable. Um, for ninety nine cents, it was it was okay. You can you can miss it. Nothing important happens in it, but for a quick little cute story, it 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 does all right by me. Yeah. Uh, speaking of quick stories, what's coming up next? Next up, we have the Flash issue seven sixty. Cover price is three ninety nine. Written by Joshua Williamson, with art by Scott Collins and Christian Dooch. Duce? Duce? Dooch. I'm going with Dooch. Colored by Hi-Fi and Luis Guerrero. Covered by Rafa Sandoval and Jordi Terragana. With letters by Steve Wands. Finish line, part two of six. After years of manipulation, the reverse Flash has at last destroyed the Flash family. But they aren't going down without a fight as they race together to save the soul of Barry Allen. Can the return of allies from the Flash's past be enough to stop the reversed Flash? Alright, so in this issue we are starting out in the starting line. The name that Max Mercury has given to the place that he, Jesse Quick, and Barry Allen are currently stuck inside of. Max is giving Barry advice on how to gain control back over his body. And uh, on the next page, we rejoin the Flash family. Iris, Bart, Wallace, Avery, and Jay Garrick. Jay is fighting against Reverse Flash, who is still in Barry's body. And he gets knocked down. Uh, little side note here. While in trying to insult Jay, Thawne references hard water here, and that is a mess up. Uh, Joshua Williamson, not sure if you did that intentionally or not, but uh, vapors from heavy water, which is an actual thing, is what caused Jay's powers, not hard water, where you get a water softener if your laundry turns your orange yellow. That's not the same thing. Um... So, uh, Barry begins to break through a little bit of, uh, in, in Thon's head, but it's just enough to cause Thon to stop his attack on Jay and he runs away. The Flash, the Flash family regroups and they talk about following him when Iris gets an anonymous tip from her work email. On the next page, we see the Legion of Zoom, the Tornado Twins, the Turtle, Captain Cold, Glider, Grodd, and Trickster standing at the gravesite of Nora Allen, Barry's mother. Captain Cold, Glider, and Trickster seem a little put off that they are there to rob a grave. The Tornado Twins speak up in Thon's defense just as he arrives. And Thon explains that Nora Allen's body has temporal energy in it, and if he can siphon it, he'll be able to take over Barry's body permanently. So we go back to the starting line of the Speed Force with Max, Jesse, and Barry. And Barry can feel how much progress he is making trying to break free. And that is when Inertia shows up. Inertia is an evil clone of Bart that did some messed up stuff pre-Flashpoint. He wants to flight he wants to fight the Flash, but the Flash won't fight a kid. Now we flip back to the gravesite, and Glider, Grodd, and Captain Cold have reservations about how Thon's tone is with them and the directions that he's been giving. There's not too much said, because that's also when the Flash family shows up and starts attacking them all. 
They take out Glider, Grodd, Cold, and the Turtle really quick, so Reverse Flash sends the twins after them. They start a fight with Bart, who makes physical contact with them. It looks as though a, a, a metal high-five almost, and a crack is heard. The twins begin to start fading away. As this happens, they begin to remember everything, but there's not enough time to hear it because they're gone really soon. Cold, Grodd, and the Turtle are back on their feet, and Reverse Flash is screaming to attack. A brief one-page peek back at the starting line shows us that Barry is getting stronger, and then on the next page it shows Thawne losing control. Next page, and Barry knows it's worked and he's going home. At the last second, he grabs onto Jesse Quick and Max Mercury. Back to the cemetery again, where the rogues have decided to kill Fawn while he's down, and they'll be rid of two Flashes. The Flash family steps in the way, and with a giant boom, Barry Allen separates from Eobard Thawne. The whole Flash family, except Wally, is there now, and standing up to reverse Flash. Wallace tells us uh, tells that our looks like the odds are in our favor of the Flashes now and we see Thawne race off and come right back. He has gathered his entire legion of Zoom, 21 people strong, including himself. Thawne says that they will kill the Flash family and every single person in Central City. And that is how Josh Williamson ends his run. His last story is a setup for somebody else to have to deal with. He ends it with a, uh, with a giant battle as a cliffhanger. Honestly, I was all in on this issue for what it was right up until that last page. I liked the art in it. The art is almost always good in the Flash books. And the story hasn't really been my favorite because of all the massive unresolved plot holes throughout this whole arc. Uh, but still, all in all, I would have given this issue a 6 out of 10. The dialogue is a little rocky. And I feel like Barry in the starting line, well, for one, that's a dumb name, starting line. And two, it could have been done a whole lot better. So six out of ten, until we get to the last book of the, uh, the last page of the book. The last page of Williamson's massive history-making story arc on The Flash, and he leaves another giant hole. Now, Josh Williamson, this guy, he can set up a Flash story but I am absolutely convinced that he cannot close one. My final score on this is a 4 out of 10. Well, we have, well, like about three, three, three or four more issues left with him? No, nope. This is no. Josh Williamson is all done. Now, in the middle of a story, it's shifting over to somebody else, as far as I know. Wait, this I is his last issue. Online, um... For the preview for next issue, he's a writer. Oh, does it does it say that he's the next part three? Finish line. Yeah. All right. Well, maybe. Okay. Well, maybe I'm being a little bit harsh on it. Maybe he will wrap this all up. I was under the impression that this was his last issue here. I know it's coming up soon. I think seven sixty. Well, if this I think is, it was seven sixty something. Yeah. If this is part two of six. Then obviously, if he's able to 
stick around until the end of the storyline. We've got four more issues with him. I don't know why I thought that it was, uh, this was his last issue then. But, uh, I mean, regardless. All right. So, you know what? If this isn't the very last issue, I will go back up to a six out of 10. I really will. And that, to me, is saying a lot. That's probably the highest score I've given a Flash book in a long time. I think, again, with that art in the starting line and all, it just... It just is awful. Through the drawing of Barry's face and the drawing of almost everybody in the whole Starline panels, it's just crap. So again, that's not having a high, sto- high score at that point. That, and you have the confusion with the Tornado Twins. Um, yes. Out of nowhere, they, they just vanish. Yeah, the, because they made contact with Bart. What a convenient way out of a, a million different times where there could have been some kind of time, time paradox that zapped people out of the place in the so middle of a, in, 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 in the middle of a battle is the first time we see that happen in a hundred issues. Oh yeah. Like we've seen time paradox all the time throughout his run as well. We've seen Barry team up with another version of Barry from either past or the future many times. But yeah. now, like, okay, that's forced, but I'm sure. Um, just to give you, anybody out there that's listening, just a little perspective. We haven't seen something like this, like I said, in over 100 issues. Now, typically, a comic book is released once a month. Sometimes twice a month. The Flash, that's not been the case. But even if it was, even if it was twice a month, consistently for the past year, released an issue every two weeks that would still only be 24 issues that's a very very long time for this guy to be writing and not having his eggs all in one basket Hmm. joshua williamson's run on the flash is massive bigger than just about anybody's gone for too long way too long for too little as far as i'm concerned Sometimes a long run can ruin the entire run. Yeah, absolutely. I'm with you there, man. And unfortunately, like his team that the team that Zoom thought of, I'm hoping by next issue with issue after that we see a whole new team. But this team actually have evil speedsters versus speedsters. That would be a little bit better than we see barriers of villains versus the speedsters. They and honestly. They even mentioned that in the book. Hmm? They mentioned that in the book. You would think that the Legion of Zoom would have evil speedsters. <sighs> I mean, we saw Inertia, too, so maybe he might pop up again to help um, Thawne. Uh, possibly. We will see. All right, what did, you, what did you give this one? I'll give this a 6 out of 10 as well. Like, it's... Oh. It's okay, I guess. <laughs> I'm with you, man. I'm with you. This, again, it's like you're trying to be positive, and the highest score you can squeak out of this is barely better than 50%. And yeah. that's a disappointment when it's somebody that you love. Like, I am a Flash fan. But it's just not working for me. Like, nothing new. At all. No. 
it's the same thing all throughout Zvon. Like it just, I just can't wait for the the new the new writer see what that writer can show. Who even is writing the new book? I wonder. Do we know? I haven't I haven't looked that up yet. All right, I guess we will head on over to the over to the next uh, title here. Next up is One Woman Seven Sixty One. Cover price three nine nine. Written by Mariko Tamaki with pencils by Carlo Barbary, inks by Matt Santarelli, colored by Alejandro Sanchez, with the cover done by David Marquez and Sanchez, and the letters done by Pat Prezo. It's the team-up no one saw coming. Wonder Woman and Maxwell Lord. This evil jerk has returned to Diana's life, but is Max here to save the day? With a new psychic phenomenon affecting more and more people, Wonder Woman is going to need all the help she can get to contain this frightening new warping of the mind. Now this right here, before I get into the recap, I just want to mention to you, this is a perfect example of a cover that completely misleads you about what's going to happen on oh, yeah. the inside of this book. At nowhere, oh, yeah. at no point does Maxwell Lord try to inject Diana anywhere, let alone her eyeball. But um, getting into the issue, flipping past the cover... The latest issue of Wonder Woman begins with another hallucination. This time, it's a former retired soldier. Or, well, pick one of those adjectives. It's a retired soldier. He thinks that he, they, they, being his troop, his squadron, his battalion, uh, is under attack. And he's talking to a sergeant that isn't really there. He runs to his car to go to the base, and next... On the next page, we see a doctor and Etta Candy looking down at Wonder Woman in what looks like a hospital setting. That definitely is, we find out. They're asking Wonder Woman if she remembers what happened at all. She, she remembers the hallucination she had in the last issue, but that's all that she remembers. She said she, she was looking for Emma, the woman with a bunny, from her building wants to know if she's okay. Etta tells her that there were no casualties. So Wonder Woman is ready to leave, but Etta is not liking that idea at all. Etta Candy says that until they know what's going on, how she snapped out of it, or what is causing it, Wonder Woman can't go anywhere. She's got a point, because next we see her standing with her eyes closed, and the next page is her hallucinating again, because she's seeing Etta as Cheetah. Now, Wonder Woman knows this is wrong. So, um, that's shown. Now, next, we get a couple panels of the retired soldier rushing the base, crashing the gate, and firing on the guards before we go back to Wonder Woman. And Edda is telling her that they believe that an app is causing the hallucinations. An app that takes pictures. She asks Wonder Woman if, she's had, if she had her picture taken recently. And if I do remember correctly, Wonder Woman did indeed have her picture taken before she lost her marbles in the last issue. Uh, they send a signal, they see a signal, excuse me, sent out by the app, and they've traced that to a company that works underneath Lord Enterprises. Enter Maxwell Lord. 
Wonder Woman is not happy that he's there. And in the only panel that I'm not a fan of in this issue, she lifts him up off the ground by his neck with one hand. She doesn't want to believe that he's innocent. And he says, you know what to do. She puts the lasso around him and he is telling the truth. This, whatever it is, is not him. Edda and Lord continue to try and get Wonder Woman to accept that though he might be the devil, he's on their team this time, and they do need him. Edda is getting a warning that someone in Arizona has launched a nuclear missile, and the base goes on lockdown. Wonder Woman takes off with Maxwell Lord right behind her. He's almost begging to help her, and she decides that he can come, but they take care of the missile first. And then they take out the servers for the Autopix app. That's the camera app that's sending out those signals from earlier. They're up on the plane, and they find the missile in midair. Wonder Woman jumps out and flies after the nuke. The next page takes us to Odysseus, the company that is hosting the Autopix servers. We see, at first, just some hands typing away at a keyboard, and we turn the page to find out that it's none other than Emma herself, Diana's new friend, the one with the bunny, the one that she was worried about before. She's talking to that bunny as she lays it all out. She's causing Maxwell Lord-type chaos for Maxwell Lord, but without his knowledge, almost like a tribute to him. We keep reading the page, and the last words are from her. Oh, Dad, you're going to be so proud. Next issue, Liar Liar Strikes. So this isn't the same team as before, artistic-wise, but I do like it. I think the last one looked better, but this one does a good job, too, with the exception of that one panel that I mentioned earlier. Something about her position and her head just doesn't look right. You know what panel I'm talking about? Uh, I believe so. Um, the one where she's 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 picking him up with one arm. Uh, right after he shows up, and yeah, and I see. You see what I mean there? It just I don't know something about her head and her back. I don't know. It just doesn't. Her hair looks weird. Um, but other than that, other than the way that she's drawn on that one time, I don't really have. She bit. does. She does look thinner too. Um, it just it looks odd. But other than that, it's pretty good work, I would say. The story is pretty good too. I was kind of falling off of Wonder Woman a bit in the previous arc because of the story and the way that she was written. This has changed that. Um, I feel like Tamaki writing Wonder Woman should have happened a long time ago. This new story arc is setting up some pretty interesting things here. Uh, Maxwell Lord has a daughter. Wonder Woman having to work with Maxwell Lord. And I'm I'm really interested in seeing where this goes. So, uh, Mariko Tamaki, keep up the good work. Man. I am going to give this a final score of 8.5 out of 10. Oh, wow. Yeah. I'm Before... really digging what she's doing in this book, man. Well, before this issue and the annual last week, I've not read a one woman book since that story with the animals and the girl from the diner. I got jumped out of that um, book because I didn't know what's going on between that rabbit or that whatever the animal was and that girl. I was like, no, nah, no, nah, this is for me. 
So I jumped back in and definitely some differences between that back then and now. For starters, the lettering. The lettering threw me off. I'm just really not a big fan of it. Um, between that and I don't hate how she's being drawn. I just, again, that threw me off how skinny she was. Because a page after that you didn't like, um, the page of that where she has Maxwell Lord on the um, lasso, you can definitely see, like, it, that threw me off. Um, do you see the, the page? Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. Yeah, there it's... are a lot of times where it seems as though her body was prevalent in what they were drawing, and then her face kind of came as an afterthought. Yeah. But again, I've not read the last two issues of this story, so jump in blind. It definitely was a good issue. I'm intrigued. Do you actually want to read the last two issues to see what's happening? Um, did Eddie always look like that, too? Did Edda Candy always look like this? Yeah. Um, not always, but she's had the mohawk for a while now. Gotcha, because for a second I was like, that looks like Eddie, but I'm not percent sure. But yeah, um... To be honest with you, I think they gave Edda Candy a mohawk to make it easier for artists to distinguish between her and Amanda Waller. Because they both looked pretty similar. I can see that, yeah. I think I'll give this issue a 6.5 out of 10. 6.5 out of 10? It was a good All issue. Right. I just had a few quick rivers that I can't get past. But again, it's, still, it's a good issue. I myself, I probably would not buy this issue quite yet. I'm not fully on board the um the Tamaki um, train yet. Hopefully, next issue, I am. Get in there and read those other books and see. You can skip the, the annual for her, because that was uh, Orlando. That yeah. wasn't Tamaki. But um, go ahead, and if, if, you, if you've got the time, I suggest dipping into it just to see what's going on here. The very first issue I was not a fan of, I rated it kind of low, um, because there wasn't a whole lot of setup there. But uh, the following issue, you find out that there was, and uh, that one was done really well. And again, I'm I'm a big fan of this one too. So go ahead and check that out when you get a second. I think you'll enjoy it. What's up next, Anthony? Next up, we have Teen Titans Annual Two, and that cover price is let's, let's load up. There we go. The cover price is four ninety nine. And that's written by Robbie Thompson with pencils by Eduardo Pensica, inks by Julio Ferreira, colored by Marcelo Mialo, while the cover was done by Mialo and Bernard Chang with letters by Rob Lee. After Batman discovers the Teen Titans' most shocking secrets, he arrives at Mercy Hall, and he wants a word with Robin. Don't miss the confrontation between father and son that will alter the very course of the DC Universe. Will the Teen Titans ever be the same? No. <laughs> Short answer. I don't know about it affecting the very course of the DC Universe, but it, it, I imagine that this is going to have some repercussions. Oh, yeah. uh, before we get into discussing that, let's tell you what happened. 
Um, so this annual issue reads like a normal one. Yeah, I reading through it went pretty quickly, and I did forget that it was over forty pages. Maybe that's because I like Damien as a character so much, so I was eager to read this issue. Speaking of which, that's where we start out with Robin. He's feeling through some memories of Alfred, but only of Alfred, while thinking to himself that everything had led to this. He's looking up at Batman, who then runs down the list of all the things that that Damien has done and the Teen Titans were complicit in. Killing Brother Blood, almost killing KG Beast, illegally imprisoning people, wiping minds. Which, um, by the way, illegally imprisoning people and wiping minds is something that Batman has actually done. So let's not get too finger pointing here, Bats. All right. Um, So he says that to Damien, to which Damien replies that he's doing what he was trained to do and that the Batman is now ineffective. The Teen Titans are feared. Batman isn't, he says. The Teen Titans themselves, specifically Arrowette, tells Robin that it's over. He turns to leave, saying that they're just as, af- just as afraid as Batman, too afraid to do what's necessary. Batman says, you're right. I am afraid. I'm afraid of losing you. He's about to say he's in the middle of saying it. We see crosshairs on Damien, and there's a huge explosion that sends everyone flying in a really nice two-page splash. That's some really nice art there. It's Deathstroke, of course. Robin ran, and he goes after him. Deathstroke does. The Teen Titans are looking after each other as Batman takes off, making sure to reiterate that the team has been canceled. There is no more Teen Titans. Now we catch up with Robin, who's running through a dark alley, and he calls out Deathstroke. And maybe he shouldn't have. Damien puts up a fight, but he gets put down kind of quickly. Then the Teen Titans show up, and that gives Damien enough time to get back on his feet. Now the whole fight, the Titans, the Teen Titans, are talking to Damien, telling him that he needs help. And that they're taking him in too. The Titans, as a team, get the better of Deathstroke. And right as Damien is swinging down a death blow to kill him with his sword, Arrowette steps in front of him. Robin's swords cut through. Robin's sword cuts through her bow and goes into her shoulder. He steps back, and and he does lower his sword. In in all of the commotion, Deathstroke vanishes. The the team is sitting there discussing things together, and they put it together that Deathstroke gets hired to kill people, and that that must be Damien's fault as well. Deathstroke wouldn't just be coming after them for no reason. That's when Batman shows up and tells Robin that all of this has to stop. Please put the sword down and to let him help. In the last panel on that page, we see Robin drop the sword. Damien is looking up at Batman and dealing with some memories of Alfred coming back. We're going back and forth between the two, the memory and him walking up to Batman. The poses are the same, the approach. We get to see Damien and Alfred hug, like really hug. 
And we see Batman open up his arms for the same thing. But we turn the page in, in a very, very well done splash. We see Robin choose to attack Batman. That attack continues for a couple pages. Robin just beating on Batman. The Batman is trying to talk him into coming home. And Damien is telling him he's got no interest in doing that. That when Wayne Manor is just an empty hole. Robin doesn't understand why Batman doesn't understand that Damien is necessary because Batman won't do what must be done. So the natural evolution of things, the natural product of Batman, is Damien. Robin says, why? Why won't you fight back? And Batman answers that he loves Damien and he admits that he's failed him. Next, Damien is having flashbacks of watching Alfred get his neck broken. And we see him thinking again. Everything has led to this. Damien rips the Robin emblem off of his uniform and hands it to Batman. And he says, You will never truly see me so long as I'm in your shadow. And he turns around and leaves. Batman calls out to him, Robin! To which Damien replies, no, I was Robin, and now, now I am finally free. Robin turns to leave and the page zooms out to show us that while the Teen Titans are still there, Batman is already gone. So I, I knew something that, I knew something had to happen with Damien. The wheels have just been spinning for far too long, doing the same thing over and over and over again. He lost his best friend in John Kent, and he's been off on his own, so to speak, for so long. Even with the Teen Titans, he's been a solo character. I wish that we could have had a better relationship with Bruce and Damien. Yeah. But that's obviously not in the cards right now. He's off on his own right now. And I really hope that whoever handles him, handles him right. He's a great character that could eventually make a really good anti-hero. But we'll have to see where it goes from here. The art was pretty good throughout, though, and I'm I'm not sure what, but it, I'm not... I just didn't like the splash of him tearing off the emblem. The art wasn't lacking, and I really can't put my finger on it. Um... But I just wasn't a fan of that particular splash. Um, other than that, though, I think that this is this is definitely progression. This is definitely movement in the story, even if it's not the kind that I was hoping for. I did enjoy the issue, and I'm glad to see something new happening. Uh, my final score on this one is 7 out of 10. <laughs> it definitely... It's an improvement from last issue we got. Um, all online, I see people bashing this issue, saying they don't like what's happened to Damien. Um, but reading this issue, I see a little bit where his frustration is coming from. Because we do see that he missed it. Alfred has been on, on his mind by a lot. We see yeah. him in the beginning of the issue, the middle, and we even see um, a page of Alfred's death. The one thing that did bug me was... His frustration about Alfred's death, he's been locking people up way before the, his death. So I feel oh, as if, yeah. like, 
we want to know why was he locking people up before. That's my only thing I wish we got in this issue was telling us why, like, why did he do this post his death? Because the page where we see his death, we see in Robin's narration, everything led to, but what else led to this happening? That's my only thing that I have an issue with. I was like, what happened, like, what other events happened in his life that made Damien choose to do this? Just take off the album, be somebody else now? Honestly, I'm going to blame that shit on Batman. When was the last time, other than this arc, when was the last time we saw them two together? Detective by Tom Taylor, Detective Comics 1017, I believe. Yeah. But before that, yeah, like, before that, way in the beginning of Rebirth, for a little bit, we saw New 52, that's where we got most of Batman and Robin. Yep. Rebirth, not anything at all. Nope. And we've got a Damien who's a little kid, for all intents. Yeah, he's a badass little kid, but he's still a little kid. Yeah, he still needs his dad. He's been way off on his own, and we can see he just doesn't have those same kind of attachments to Bruce as he does to Alfred, because Alfred was always there. Mm-hmm. Bruce, with everything that's been going on over the last few years, Bruce hasn't been anywhere. The I mean, he's, he's always issue. been he's always been tied up into a million different things. The first issue of Teen Titans in Rebirth, it was Damien's... I want to say 16th birthday or so, he was given a cake by Alfred. Batman, he wasn't in that issue. Yeah. Alfred was in the issue. Yeah, so Alfred it, plays a big part in his life. but uh, An even bigger part than Batman does. Mm-hmm. By Definitely far. Curious to see where this leads Robin next. Like, yes, I'm bummed out. We won't really see, we probably won't see Robin be Robin anymore. But at the same time, I'm always curious to see what changes in the character. What will his new name be? Who will he be tagging up with? I can see him, as you were saying, more like an anti-hero. I can see him for like a story arc or so. Have him tag up with Red Hood. Let Red no, Hood be his mentor for a little bit. I think I think that would make an interesting story, but it'll get really violent. Oh, yeah. I'm, I don't have any problems with him teaming up with Nightwing again once Nightwing gets all of his crap straightened around. The Damien and Dick dynamic was delicious. For I mean, there was a lot of D in there, <laughs> but um, the, it, it really was. It, it was written really well. The two characters mesh really well together, and I would like to see more of that. When when Batman was gone, Dick stepped into the cowl and Damien played his Robin. That was some of the best Batman stuff that I had seen in a very long time. I kind of wish that last issue of Nightwing we saw Jason and Tim meet up with um Dick for the um to stop Batgirl. I wish we got Damien as well. I'm with you see on that. All three of those Rob- see all four of those Robins. Together. We have not seen that in a long time. No, we haven't. And that would be something. I feel like Tim Drake, uh, who is, I I love Tim Drake. He's a great Robin. And I I think he gets, I think he's been crapped on by writers for a few years now. 
And that's the Tim Drake everybody knows. And that's, I mean, Tim Drake is just as smart as Batman is. Oh, yeah. He figured that's, out his identity. That's supposed to be his defining trait is that he's just as good, if not a better detective than Bruce Wayne. Um, so I think he gets crapped on a, a little too much. He's definitely one of my favorite Robins up there. Um, I'm one of those weird people that puts Dick lower on the list only because I feel that uh, Dick became Dick, the one that we all love, when he became Nightwing. And out of that, we respect him because he was the first Robin. And yeah. that's where that's where we were introduced to him. But he began he began changing into the person that everybody loves with the advent of the Nightwing persona. I mean, I'll give this issue, as you said, a seven out of ten. It's very enjoyable, better than what we have been getting in the past. I'm definitely looking forward to what happens next. Not only with the team where each member goes post Teen Titans where Damien goes as well. Yeah, that'll be interesting to see. Because I don't I don't want the rest of the team to go anywhere either. I like Crush and Roundhouse and Wallace. Um Wallace, there's so many speedsters in the Flash family now, there's almost not a place for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but all right. True. It is. Um let's go on to the next one. We've got a lot more books to cover, so Next up, we have Suicide Squad, issue 8, cover price three nine nine. Written by Tom Taylor, with art by Daniel Sampier, colored by Adriano Lucas, covered by Sampier Lucas and Juan Alberon, with letters done by Wes Abbott. Task Force X is done running. They pulled the bombs out of their necks, they've identified their target, and they're going on the hunt for the man who's pulled their strings and killed their friends. And now the squad is up against forces far more powerful than they ever could have imagined. Taking them on could be suicide. (laughs) So the latest suicide squishy has a little progression and a lot of history. We get to the back. We get the backstory of Wink, the Airy, and TNT. Them and the others, it seems, are held in this secret place. As it turns out, they were subjected to scientific experiments that developed their powers. The Airy is the only one that we met that isn't there because of crime. Everyone else there is kind of under a suicide squad kind of lockdown. Uh, they, the Airy, as we learned that is their preferred pronoun, were kidnapped as a child and held for ransom, and when that didn't work out, they were sold to these unidentified evil scientist people. We also find out that there are two TNTs. Uh, if you remember at back at the beginning of this uh, Suicide Squad run, run, one of them blew up. We didn't know that there were two of them. Well, one of them is sold to Amanda Waller. She's interested in the area as well, but since they aren't criminal, Waller says it's a pity and leaves. Wink goes to the Airy and says that it's time to escape, and the Airy says not without Javier. That is the remaining TNT. They had all become friends. Wink grabs up Javier 
and the and they teleport outside where the RE grabs both and flies with them to escape. There is a fighter pilot that comes fast on their heels, and Wink takes care of it. She teleports into the jet, grabs onto the pilot, teleports out of the jet, and drops the pilot into the ocean. Now the whole uh, backflash was part of a team meeting with the Suicide Squad, what Ted Cord is up to and why. He wants to buy Badnesia because they found out that the small island is sitting on more oil than Venezuela and Canada. And if you don't know, that is a whole lot of oil. Uh, Floyd, Deadshot, remembers that Waller said to him before the new members of the Suicide Squad showed up, he overheard her talking about, quote, the big one in the basement. He assumed that she meant some kind of gigantic meta, but now he's thinking that the big one might be a bomb. The other TN team. We flip the page and Ted Cord has her, Lola, the other TN team, in some kind of laboratory in susp- and she's suspended in liquid. He's talking to her, but she's not replying. Someone else in a different tube, just like hers, does, though. The unknown person says, someone will stop you. And Ted Cord scoffs that the threat wasn't more specific. He adds as he walks away, it's okay, I'm almost done with you two. So from the last issue, we get to find out who the girl is that he had trapped. Obviously, it's the TNT. It's Lola. Um, This is turning into my favorite Suicide Squad run ever. I don't know how it's going to wrap up. I believe it's only 12 issues. 11. 11 issues? November is when it's done. Oh, man. Like, we've got... Three more issues to go then? I'm so into this. For an 11-issue run, oh my god. This is... I can't say for sure until after the run is over with. But right now, it's looking like this could be my favorite Suicide Squad run ever. I'm right there with you. It was awesome. Um... I, ne- I, I never, the, the story never gets stale. I never feel like I'm missing something. The progression always moves along at a good pace without ever feeling like it's glossing over anything. Uh, no plot holes. The art is always good in this book. And, I mean, I'd have to look it up to see if it's always the same artist, but it always has looked good. Every panel. I wish that there were more books like this out there right now. And also, I just want to put out there as a side note, the fact that they named the dog Dog Shot. Wicked cool. I love that. I thought that was cool as hell. So, Tom, Taylor, and company, I give your book a whopping 8.5 out of 10. As you said, this might be one of your favorite ones. Samia, right from the beginning, new team, which is always, whenever you introduce a new character, it's always risky because you don't know how the reader is going to interact with them, how it's going to get their attention. Because usually, we want characters we already know. But he introduced to a whole number of characters that, honestly, I enjoy reading. 
I enjoyed Finn with his um little rivalry with with King Shark, which I wish we would see more of Finn. We haven't seen much of him in a while. I want to see more of him. He was very one of my favorite characters from the beginning of the run. But of course, without a doubt, um Wink favorite moment throughout the run is when she teleported Harley away. Someone told her to bring her back. Okay, fine. Just the small things that she does. It's just cute. It's hilarious. Great m- moments. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really is. I, I mean, um, Asega, Wink, Finn, the Airy, uh, Zebra Man, they've all stepped up and become big characters. Um, mm-hmm. I'd like to see some more out of th- Thiaseline. Or Thysaline, yeah, and uh, Deadly Six and Chaos Kitty, but um, I mean that's that that is a lot to make sure that everybody gets the limelight. I mean, it's okay to have background characters, and I think that I think that they're handled pretty well too. I'm very curious. Who do you think is um, talking to Ted at the end? Because I think it's Amanda. Who do I think in, in, that's in that tube? Yeah. I think now, it's all, Amanda. I hadn't put any thought into that, but holy crap, man. I mean, if that... You well, know, see, I'm looking at the silhouette, and it looks... You, like a, okay, a guy? A it bit. looks like a guy, and I say that because of the silhouette. There's an Adam's apple. Mm. Yeah, now I see it. Man, because... I feel like eventually she has to show up somewhere in this run. Somewhere. We don't even know if she's alive yet. Yeah, true. We don't know the 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 um the fate of that. Um next issue is the death of Deadshot. And oh man. Um Do you think he's I, actually gonna die? I do. You do? I, yep. Um, Tom Taylor, he, uh, he likes to tease people, but to my knowledge, I've never seen him do a direct misdirect, not, not intentionally, you know, um, death of Deadshot, not Floyd. It does say the death of Deadshot. Uh, it doesn't say, you're right. It doesn't say the death of Floyd. That's why I'm so he's not going to die. Maybe you could be onto something. Maybe Deadshot will finally retire maybe that's what we're looking at but to my knowledge we are going to be looking at floyd catching a bullet Mm. and i mean he it's hard to say but uh you 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 could be on to something there all right so i give this book an eight out of ten right on all right and what do we got up next anthony Next up is Just League Dark, issue 25, cover price $3.99. Written by Ram V, art by Amanke Nualpan, colored by Jun Chung, cover by Yannick Paquette, and Nathan Fairbairn. Letters by Rob Lee. It's their greatest crisis, and the Justice League Dark is a team divided. Wonder Woman, Zatanna, and Swamp Thing are outmatched and defeated at the hands, and the endless teeth, of the upside-down man. But Bobo, Detective Chimp, Dr. Fate, and Man-Bat will do anything to save their teammates, even turn to the man that they swore to never trust. 
John Constantine. So the first few pages of this issue are a flashback to when Zatanna was young, and she's learning a lesson about magic from her dad, Zatara. She found a dead rabbit in the woods, and she did magic to bring it back to life. Zatara shows up just in time to cast a spell. Magic always has a cost, he tells her. And that spell he cast took the debt from Zatanna and gave it to himself. Now out of the flashback, we get current. And we see Zatanna and Wonder Woman in the other place with the Upside Down Man. They are there to retrieve Zatara, who's been being held in the other place for quite some time. Zatanna and Wonder Woman trade quotes with the Upside Down Man. And they trade blows. They're fighting... And the upside-down man notices that Zatanna's magic is stronger in the other place. She says that her father taught her to speak that way, but she never knew why. The other place seems to be the answer. Now, we go over to Man-Bat and Swamp Thing. And Swamp Thing is asking Man-Bat to make some sort of serum that can accelerate and replicate Swamp Thing's living tissue, which is a meld of plant, animal, and fungus. Swamp Thing seems rather resolute in his plan. He stops to say goodbye to Abby, and then he says he will, be, he will go beyond the ground, beyond the green to an in-between place. Swamp Thing plans to take the green with him to the other place. We get no idea as to why Swamp Thing would have needed to say goodbye to Abby. We're not told anything that sounds permanent, but it sounds as though it is. And that bothers me a little bit because Swamp Thing, I, he's a character that I love and I want to see more of. And I feel like he's there. He's a strong character and he's being relegated to the size of a side character or a background piece for no reason. Uh, back in the other place, the Upside Down Man is starting to win against Zatanna and Wonder Woman. Things seem as though it's over for our heroes, but that's when Swamp Thing shows up. He surprises and attacks the Upside Down Man, transforming into a gigantic Swamp Thing, and he squashes the Upside Down Man between his hands. Uh, this looks pretty cool, by the way. <laughs> Swamp Thing warns Zatanna and Wonder Woman that the Upside-Down Man is still powerful, but that with the green infesting the other place, this is how they will beat him, but that they need time to each find their own answers. Next, we see Bobo the Detective Chimp heading to a bar that we see that John Constantine walked into not long ago. He, he goes into the bar and he sees Constantine hanging upside down like the fool from tarot cards. And he has a fool card over his mouth. It says, next issue to be continued. I really like that we're finally getting a chance to see Zatanna find Zatara and go after him and fight him. Uh, we don't see any kind of progress other than that. Um, not even any confirmation that we'll be getting Zatara back anytime soon. Uh, the situation that we see John Constantine in at the very end has me a little curious as to who it is that's got him trapped like that. He's not hanging upside down by a rope. He's upside down suspended in midair. 
and there's a bunch of bar stools around him flying all over the place and he's got the fool card from a tarot deck stuck to his mouth and he can't talk it's it's almost like he's been gagged it's pretty interesting i've always been really up on justice league dark and um the last little bit at towards the end of Tinian's run on this uh I was getting a little worried, but uh, Ram V has picked it up and is carrying on. I do know that this is eventually ending. Uh, I hope it lands solid. I hope it ends good because it's it's really picked my interest back up. Uh, also, for those who haven't noticed, uh, Anthony didn't read this one or the next two books that we're going to be reviewing, so uh, he'll jump back in at the end of at the end of those. So my final score for Justice League Dark number 25 is a solid 7.5 out of 10. The art carries us a long way. Even in the even in the panels and on pages where it is subpar compared to the rest of it, it's drawn beautifully, all of it. Uh, the flashback sequences, the, the fire of watching Zatara burn, the detail put into the upside down man during uh, close up panels, everything looks good. And they managed to do man bat and make him look decent and not just a big pile of lines, which is what tends to happen to him. So big ups on justice league, dark number 25, uh, 7.5 out of 10. And now I'm going to move over to the next one, which is Legion of superheroes. Number eight which retails for $3.99, written by Brian Michael Bendis, art by loads of people, cover by Ryan Sook, with letters done by Dave Sharp. So this is the beginning of a special two-part comic storytelling event. Over the course of two spectacular issues, 44 artists will dive into the 31st century, with each page starring a different Legionnaire. It starts with the team is arrested by a galactic authority that does not approve of the Legion, and it leads into an intergalactic showdown that will affect every member of the team. So um, normally I don't start with the cover, but this one I wanted to. It looks far different than most DC covers. Also, there's a big red, big, big red announcement on it that Brian Michael Bendis presents a once-in-a-lifetime all-star artist event. I didn't realize that Bendis had his own imprint at DC. He doesn't. I'm being facetious. This is the first issue uh, in the trial of the Legion of Superheroes, and as one who is familiar with Bendis's work, it will come to you as no surprise that the trial doesn't actually take place. Uh, the few pages, the, the first few pages are Madame Honor looking through the Legion files to find what went wrong when General Na showed up. Then we see the attack. It's a decent bit of action for this book because we've rarely seen anything at all but talking and standing in the previous issues of this run. So the action was nice, but by the end, there's no explanation as to what went wrong. It was simply General Na attacking, the Legion defending, and sending General Na back home. We get to see a few Legion members that we haven't seen yet, and that's all this issue is. Lots of words, none of them meaning anything. And now, 
onto the art gimmick. A different artist for every page. That's 21 artists in this issue. There's a full double page, uh, double splash page by Sook and Graw Badger. That's really nice. But overall, and overall, most of the art was good. Some was great. Some was just downright distracting and poor. But in the end, this is just a gimmick issue to get you to buy a book in a series that never has anything happen. It's the perfect comic book for people who cannot handle excitement in their lives. Because in this entire series, I have yawned more than anything else. This book just isn't worth it. The art is usually great work. Uh, Sook is awesome. And if you can find older copies at your shop or, uh, you know, pick those up and flip through them. But this is not a book that you want to pay full price for. I honestly wouldn't even buy the trade. This book would get a much lower score if it wasn't for the good bit of action that actually takes place and some of the art. But nostalgia just can't save the Legion of Superheroes anymore with me. Even with all the art, the simple and, and the and the fact that we finally got action, the simple fact is is that this seems desperate, petty, and lazy, and I am seriously disappointed with it. Um, my final score on this book is a 2 out of 10. Now the third book that I'm covering without Anthony before he comes back in to help us finish up the podcast is Batgirl number 48, which retails for $3.99. It's written by Cecil Castellucci, art by Robbie Rodriguez, colored by Jordi Belair, with the cover done by Giuseppe Camincoli and Jean, Jean-Francois Bellot. I'm probably butchering that last name. Letters were done by Andworld Design. The Last Joke Part 1. Why is Bar- Barbara in the hospital? And what is James Gordon Jr. doing here? After an encounter with the Joker leaves Barbara temporarily handicapped, Babs is determined to find the technology she needs. But her journey's cut short when a redhead serial killer is on the loose. Who's the obsessive freak? And will Gordon Jr. prove to be the changed person he claims to be? So Batgirl starts out with her in a dream sequence. The art here is really pretty. It's random scenes strung together of Babs, James Jr., and their dad, with a bit of Joker dashed in at the beginning and the end. The Gordon dialogue is pretty much about how messed up James Jr. is. And the Joker dialogue is about Barbara dancing with the Joker. Then Barbara wakes up with a start. She freaks out a bit, and someone is there in the shadows, and they speak. By his voice, Barbara knows that it's her brother, J.J. J.J. tells her that their dad was at a court date that he couldn't get out of, but that he volunteered to come stay with her. Barbara doesn't want to trust him, but he's trying to convince her, and she kind of has to right now. She needs to get back to the rooftop where the battle went down because the chip to her implant might still be there, which could help her walk again. Uh, She took that out last issue with a knife to escape Joker's control. She was right. They went back. It was there. Uh, They then return to Barbara's place, and that's where they run into Jim Gordon. Jim is none too happy about J.J. being with Babs, 
and Jim is berating JJ, who says that he's trying to be better. Barbara tells both of them that she needs neither of them, and not to forget that, and she closes the door to her apartment. Jim and JJ argue a little bit more outside, and JJ walks away muttering that he'll be there for Babs when Jim fails. Now the next page is a redhead that does kind of look like Barbara a bit. She's wearing a big wide-brimmed hat, and that hat blows off, and someone off-panel hands it to her. But then that person is grabbing her, and we see her say that they're hurting her. The next few pages are filled with Barbara calling the one person she can for something like getting her implant chip to work, Luke Fox. They used to date. They're still good friends. We get a lot of personal banner and some catching up for Luke because he's not been around. Luke fixes and attaches the implant, and Barbara is up and walking. Like, no problem whatsoever. We see her next in her Batgirl suit. A very nice a splash page of Batgirl jumping from a building and a couple pages of panels going between Jim, JJ, and Batgirl all listening to a police scanner about the murder from earlier. We go to Commissioner Bullock at the crime scene where one of the officers tell him that they need to call in Jim Gordon. Bullock says, why would we need him? And the cop replies that it's in his purview. The final page is Batgirl looking down at a dead Batgirl. Next issue, who killed Batgirl? So I I like the movement that we're getting here. The art is pretty good. It's not amazing, but it's good. And the story is getting good. And though with that that Batgirl uh, jump splash page, I wasn't very fond of her smile. Um Overall, um, not a lot of complaints. It was, it was, it was a, I almost want to say a carefree art style, but done with detail, if that makes any sense. Um, obviously, JJ is back because he's going to be a big part of this in whatever way. Uh, I would assume he's probably the killer, though I do think that that's a bit obvious. Um, this was enjoyable. The stories are getting better than the previous Batgirl stories that we've had. And uh, because of that, the action, the art, and and the progression, and the fact that this actually felt more like a normal Batgirl that I'm used to, I'm going to go ahead and give this one a 6.75 out of 10. I wanted to do 7, but we're not quite there yet. All right, and now Anthony is coming back to join us for the last two books. Anthony. What's up, up, everybody? Next up is Detective Comics, 1026, cover price $3.99. Written by Peter J. Tomasi, with art by Kenneth Rockefeller, colored by Dan Brown, and the cover was by Rockefeller. Letters done by Rob Lee. As the Joker War rages on, the casualties are mounting, and the underground residents of Gotham City must deal with the devastating effects of the Joker toxin that's been pumped into this old city's tunnel system. Batman must risk everything to guide them to safety. But a familiar face has mobilized these forgotten souls to rise up in anger. And Killer Croc takes no prisoners. 
So at the end of last issue, as we do with all the issues, we read our next part of the story as it appears on the last page. This last issue told us that it had to do with Croc. And if you remember correctly, I said they better not mess with my boy Waylon. Mm -hmm. He's reformed. He's doing his own thing. And that's what they did. They messed with him, but just a little. So the, the next few pages are um, Batman getting the feel for the situation as we see Crop, uh, Croc excuse me, uh, kidnapping a couple people. Batman heads into the sewers and follows the noise using his tech to find Waylon. Waylon is holding up underground, trying to make an army of mutants like him so they're ready for whatever it is that's going to come out of the Joker War. And he tells Batman just that. Uh, they have uh, Ace Chemicals let loose some a bunch of toxic sludge and a f there, it made a few more people like Waylon, though each were in individual and different. They mutated much like the Ninja Turtles. Everybody did into a different animal. Uh, Batman tested the sludge on his way in and it will kill people after it mutates them. Croc doesn't want to believe him and a fight ensues. Eventually, they make a deal, and if Croc wins, he walks, but Batman wants to treat everyone. Of course, Batman wins, and we see next everyone in tanks in some location that might be like an off-site Batcave type of thing. And Batman goes in to talk to Croc. Batman has stopped the harm the sludge was causing, and the new mutants should be okay. Croc is talking about how hard it is to hang on to normalcy, which is something that if you've been reading Croc recently over the last couple of years, something that he's really, really trying to get to. He just wants to be treated like a normal person, and he wants to be a normal person. To which Batman replies, It's the not giving into the darkness that defines us, Waylon. And that's when uh, Waylon shakes Bat's, Batman's hand and thanks him for using his real name. So... All in all, the review was a little quick because this was a quick issue. Uh, it was a completely unnecessary issue. It was a filler issue, but it was not enjoyable. We got a little one-shot dealing with my boy Waylon. It was nice to see that Waylon is still on the path towards being good. And the little story that we got it with uh, served its purpose. The art in this issue I really enjoyed, and no panels stick out to me as amazing but nothing for me to really complain about here either. I gave this being even with, with the good arc and, and, and getting to see one of my favorite characters that doesn't usually get a lot of love as far as one of Batman's rogue guys go. Um, I, I was happy to see this. I enjoyed it. You can skip it. Uh, I gave this a final score of six, five out of 10. I think I'm going to be right there with you. Um, the art, uh, as you said, I think it's okay. Um, truthfully, it doesn't. Uh, want, it doesn't like intrigue me. Um, where was I? It definitely has um, what's it called? Like a JLD vibe with the art. It yeah, a little yes. It definitely does have like a JLD vibe for the art. But as the fuck ever says this is a Joker War tie-in. Mm -hmm. I thought it was about all the tie-ins 
Oh, uh, okay. Those are like legit tie-ins. This one, I would not say, nah. No way this should be a tie-in. No, and I think that's what they're doing, to be honest with you, with this little banner that they're adding after Joker War for collateral damage. These are just side tie-ins. No, if that's the case, Anthony, tell me, wouldn't it have made more sense to make a Batman, a Detective Comics issue that had something more to do with the full story like, and made, made this into a one-shot? Exactly. Like, have him solve a case, hence be a detective on Detective Comics. But as we said in the last Detective Comics, how the timeline doesn't really mesh with how that issue was and how we saw Batman in the Batman book, I wish they chose a different character. Um to be the main character of this issue besides Batman. I don't see a woman why Bat I don't see a reason why Batwoman shouldn't be headlining Detective Comics. I was a fan of when she did it before. The idea of it, I think it was kind of poorly executed, but I think that it could have been done a lot better. And given that, there's no reason why we can't throw a good writer on a Batwoman and put her in Detective Comics. Mm-hmm. You have a list of back characters that you could use while Batman is dealing with the Joker. Have this being a Joker War tie-in, but don't have Batman. You could have Batwoman and Hopperville. They go down in the sewers. They talk to Waylon. Yeah. Oh, Harper Row. I can't wait until we get back into the main book about this because I heard something about Harper, about the Rose. Um, to do with Joker War and how they really? very well could be tied in okay. heavily. We may even see them showing up in the next issue of Batman, from what I understand. I heard a rumor that they might know who the Clown Hunter is. I've heard people saying that it might be the brother. Harper Rose's little brother, Colin? Yeah, I'm Colin, whatever his name is. Yeah, I believe it's Colin. But yeah, yeah. I, I think... I think uh, I think that very well could be the case, too. And that would be something else, man. Um, I liked Bluebird. Harper Rose is a great character. Mm -hmm. I don't know her brother very much, but I enjoy Bluebird, and I would yeah. love to see more of that come back. Yeah, I think I give this issue a 6.5. Me, personally, I would not go out my way and buy this issue, only because I feel as if it was a little bit unnecessary. They could have done uh, things that would be a little bit better to, like, Make this be a little bit different of an issue. It's an okay issue. But yeah, 6.5 for me. Alright. And that leaves us with one last book of the night, Anthony, for this podcast. Why don't you lead us on into that one? Yeah, and I'm so glad that we're finishing off with this book. It is Red Hood Outlaw number 48. Cover price is three ninety nine. Written by Scott Labdell, pencils by Brett Booth, with inks done by Danny Minky, colored by Arif Prianto, colored by Tamara Bonvillain and Dan Mora, letters by A Larger World's Troy Pateri. In the in the aftermath of the war between Batman and the Joker, Jason Todd has a few decisions to make. Does Gotham City, or the world at large? really need the Red Hood? If Jason contemplates retiring the Red Hood mask altogether, what does that mean for Artemis and Bizarro? Can the outlaws continue to exist without their leader? 
a family reunion with Rick Grayson doesn't go as planned as he brought along his new friend, Punchline. So that entire summary is much like the covers that we've talked about a couple times. Mm-hmm. has nothing to do with this book. Um, sometimes I really think that the people writing these summaries aren't being given the plot details for the comic at all. No, not one bit. Um, before I start ranting again, which I do tend to do sometimes, uh, let's just get started with this one. In issue number 48 of Red Hood Outlaw, we see the events that kept Red Hood busy prior to when he showed up at the end of the last Nightwing issue, where he and Drake responded to Batgirl needing help and then he met Dick, who tells them that Batgirl is going to blow up a hospital. So it starts with Jason, the Red Hood, driving through Gotham on his motorcycle, doing what he can to fight Joker's clowns. Here, and again later in the issue, we have acknowledgement that Jason is respecting Batman's less lethal rule. We get a page where the the clown where he's um where the clowns are telling the Joker that they found Red Hood and are going to be following him. But Joker sends Punchline to take care of it. Jason has driven to the old abandoned Ma Gunn's home for wayward boys, the orphanage that Jason spent time in after stealing the rims off the Batmobile. Yes, that really happened. (laughs) Yeah, Jason Todd's introduction into the Batman universe was a little different, (laughs) but, uh, in any case, the uh, home for wayward, wayward boys was shut down due to criminal activity, and not too long ago, the outlaws used it as a hideout. So Jason goes inside and um, begins to have a flashback to one of his first interactions with Bruce Wayne. This part is done beautifully in the black, white, and red style that seems to be catching on. Uh, it first appeared in the Harley Black, White, and Red, and I've recently heard that Marvel's stealing that idea for a Wolverine comic. So that oh, really? should be interesting oh, really? to see too. Yeah, I believe they're calling it Red, uh, Black, White, and Blood. Hmm. Uh, but um, so the rest of the art in, is gorgeous in this issue as well, and in uh, this flashback really stands out even among that. The, uh, the trip down memory lane is over, and Jason is planting a self-destruct vice inside the house. He, he, what his plan is, is to learn the cl- lure the clowns inside, get out and detonate the house and have it fall down on the clowns. Um, so there are a lot of really well-drawn and colored action panels as the Red Hood is taking out a lot of the clowns, again using rubber bullets. Um, for the Batman's rule fanatics, I just want to point something out here. I'm willing to bet that the majority of you have not been shot by a rubber bullet. Rubber bullets are not safe. They're just, they're just less lethal means they're less likely to kill you. It doesn't mean that they won't. And, um, Jason uses a 45 caliber gun regularly, a rubber bullet, a rubber bullet coming out of that could definitely still prove deadly. So I just wanted to throw that in there. Um, As he's finishing up with the clown goons, he hears an all-too-familiar sound. The moment he heard it, he knows what it is. A sound he heard over and over years ago as the Joker beat him to death with a crowbar, 
It's the sound of metal on bone. He follows the sound, and he finds Joker's daughter, who isn't really Joker's daughter, just a crazy lady that also calls herself Duella Dent. Uh, Duella is half beaten to death, and Punchline is standing over her with a crowbar. Red Hood races to take her down, but that's when Dickie Boy, wearing a clown mask, shows up. He's not speaking, but he is talking. It's the Joker's voice that's coming from the mask, and the Joker is taunting Jason. Other than the mask and the voice, he's wearing the exact same outfit that he's been wearing. A full suit colored in blue and white, some red on the sleeves. This is the same outfit that he's wearing when he shows up to meet Red Hood and Drake at the end of Nightwing's last issue, so this does not work for me at all. I feel as though he'd be pretty easy to recognize given that Jason just came from a fight with him. But um, back to the story. Though he notices that the guy he's fighting is well-trained, side note, I also think he would notice Dick's fighting style here too. Yeah. He uh, he takes notes that the moves are somewhat sluggish, and he's beginning to get the upper hand. Duella says thank you for trying, and that distracts Red Hood just enough to promise her that he'll get her out. And that's when he crutch- that's when he catches a crowbar swung by punchline to the back of his head. He walked up. Um, he wo- he wakes up outside of the orphanage later on, and the whole thing is on fire. He races back in, hoping to find Duella. He sees her, but she's dead. He's got her scooped up in his arms. And that's when the call from Batgirl comes through. But it's the call from Batgirl that isn't really Batgirl. It's Punchline. He says, I let you down and I can't fail them too. Next, we see an ambulance and we look inside. That's where we find Dickie Boy and Punchline in the back of it. They're talking all about how... The Joker will feel about losing all those men that Red Hood took out that they obviously left behind before the explosion occurred. Dickie Boy mentions how tenacious Red Hood can be. And Punchline says we've already got that handled. She says Red Hood will assume the body that he found was indeed Duella. That's when we find out that it isn't her. Punchline is looking down at someone in the gurney, and we do see that it's Duella, but we can't really see her face. What we can see is a stretched-out face being held up in front of her, one that's been surgically removed, much like the Joker was from before in the New 52. We don't know yet if it came from Duella, or if it will be put on her. I guess we'll just have to wait for the story to continue. Red Hood is a favorite character of mine. Um, I was a huge fan when the Robin with the Attitude came about. And um, I enjoyed it while most everybody else did not. In fact, they called a 1-900 number and voted to kill him off. But I was a Jason Todd fan. And it was sad to see him go. Um, But... That said, when he came back, I've been following him ever since, and the character, the character development with the with, with Red Hood uh, on his own has just been phenomenal. Um, I've I've really enjoyed it. Uh, the stories have gone like way wonky sometimes, way out there, uh, 
but I loved the original Outlaws team of Starfire, Arsenal, and Red Hood. I loved the new one of Artemis, Red Hood, and Bizarro. Yep. And I would I would like to see um, if we can please uh, <laughs> if we can uh, when the when the reboot happens I want to see Arsenal brought back and Bizarro kept and I, I I would like to see all all of them together. Oh, that'd be Biz- nice. Bizarro, Artemis, Starfire, mm-hmm. Arsenal, and Red Hood, and I think that would be a team, my friend. Yes. Um, I loved this issue. I thought it was great. The art, as always, is phenomenal. Way to go, Booth and Minky. This was beautiful. Um, Prianto, too, because the colors and the shading are gorgeous. Uh, way to go, guys. My final score for Red Hood, Outlaw number 48, is a very hard 8.5 out of 10. Without a doubt, favorite issue of the week. Of course, Going from Nightwing to this, there were some issues with, like, continuity and, like, some retconning. However, all that stuff aside, just the issue alone, hands down, great job. Beautiful artwork. Again, as I said before, a guy that, in comics, I love action. And that's what we got. We got a few times. We got the battle between Red Hood and Nightwing, as well as Red Hood fighting off the clowns, just the artwork of when Nightwing is battling Red Hood. Great job. It just is mind-blowing. Like, I wish we got this type of issue the whole way through the Rebirth, because once they, I lost Split Up per se, it wasn't as great. It was an okay um, run, but it was nowhere as good as it used to be in the start of Rebirth. It died down after the team went their separate ways. This issue is definitely in the top of tier for the run, without a doubt. I, I, could, I could just gush about this issue for hours just with like how things was drawn, how it was writing, and just seeing... Like, as I said before, the drug war tie-ins are not very much tie not a fan of them, but this one. If you're not reading the Drug War event, you should and as well pick up at least just this one issue. I'll give this a nine out of ten. Nine point five out of ten. That's pretty heavy. I like it. Alright. Um so let me ask you a question real quick. Uh, first, let yeah. me say, next up, the Joker War continues in Nightwing number 74. And yep. in End of the Outlaws, beginning in Red Hood number 49. Because Red Hood is another one of the books that's getting canceled. But first, let me ask you this question. Okay, so um, Duella Dent, um, we know that she had the New 52 style face, right? Yeah. Uh, Joker face. So... In the middle of getting beat, she has that face on. All right. Um, in the middle of her being beaten by Punchline, she's got that face. When she looks up and wants to say thank you for trying um, to Jason, she's wearing her face. Now, take note of that face and then go to the last page where Punchline is holding up the skinned face. 
you, well, you I think... see some big differences between the two of those faces, and because the other one has no lipstick, it doesn't have a pointy nose. The eye holes certainly aren't perfect circles, and I'm not complaining about the art in any way, shape, or form. I just think that um, this 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 might not be the same face that was on her. I can see that being like um, different. Yeah, because I can see them like having a different face. Like went out, they cut someone else's face just because how messed up and sadistic punchline even is. He compliments the Joker quite nicely. Mm-hmm. And I was, I'm, I'm sad to know that the Outlaws and the Red Hood is coming to a close, but this can only mean that the universe is about to reboot, and hopefully we'll get some of these, these titles that I love so much coming back. Exactly. Hopefully we'll get Jason still back into, like, the books once this goes away. Yeah. For sure, because he's just too good of a character to throw to the side. And that's the show. As always, thank you for listening. And remember, you can feel free to reach out and contact us at any time. We love talking about this stuff with people. Visit our website at notarobotpodcast.com to get lots more content and contact us. You can link up with our social media, subscribe to our Patreon page for as low as a dollar a month. And that's going to have more and more content as the show goes on. You can even submit show mail that we'll respond to right on the show. Just visit our website and you can access it all from there. That's notarobotpodcast.com. You can uh, hit our landing page at campsite.bio forward slash notarobot to go directly to all of the platforms that our podcast is available on. And remember that by joining our Patreon, you can get access to our podcasts days before they're released anywhere else. Thanks again to the Weird Science Podcast crew, and until next time, be good to each other, and don't be a robot. Don't